0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. You know, Easter in our culture has become a festival of recreation. People look forward to it. It's the most extended run of days off for many people that you get in the year. Uh, a lot of people, Easter is the time to go away. I just want to make it known, I've said this numerous times, but I dislike the Easter weekend at the end of the school holidays, just so it's known. Love doing Easter and running into a couple of weeks of break, but here we are, but it's, it's a festival of recreation. People love getting away at Easter, being with friends and family, going to the beach, enjoying the beautiful weather of southeast Queensland, how wonderful it is. But for us, Easter has never been a festival of recreation, even though that's a good part of this time of year. It's actually a celebration of resurrection. As I said earlier, without the resurrection, what we believe doesn't matter. The Apostle Paul says that. Without the resurrection, we should be pitied. If we keep doing this and following this Jesus guy, if he hasn't been raised from the dead, the Bible says we should be pitied above all people. Now, I don't want to be pitied. But we're not because we actually celebrate that Jesus has risen from the grave. The festival and the celebration of resurrection is a reminder to us that in all the noise of our culture, we are still the ones that have a story to share with no equal because there's no other story, no other religion, no other promise, no other cultural ideology, or there's no other future, future hope that is born out of the story of an empty grave and a dead man made alive. This today is the thing that sets our story apart. And it's this story that I want to talk to us about a bit today, because it becomes the foundation of our faith. What is your faith based on? So some of you here today and you've been following Jesus a long time, some of you here today maybe just dragged along by family, maybe you're here because right now Jesus is still a myth to you and you've got your doubts and you've got your questions and you just want to explore it. Wherever you are in your story, we're really glad that you're here. If Jesus is a myth to you right now, we'd love just to do that journey with you and, and help you discover something as you do your own investigating and exploring of the story of Easter. But how we see God and where we see God, in other words, that God's nature and God's character and where he's placed in our lives affects the way we relate to him. Maybe for you, God is just authoritarian. The way you see God is as authoritarian maybe for you you just see him as kind but rather powerless in other words there is a God you just don't know if he has any impact on our lives maybe for you God is distant maybe for you God is a myth maybe for you he's very present in your story right now maybe for you he's you know only interested in what you do wrong see how we see God and and where he's placed in our story affects The way we relate to him. There's a couple of frameworks that we go through that determine how we relate to God and, and that define our relationship with him. The first one goes a little bit like this. I give, so God gives. Some of us have built a faith on this narrative. I give, so God gives. In other words, our faith or our relationship is transactional. It's built on the belief that what you do really matters. In other words, the things that you do in life, the the tasks that you perform, the, the works that you have really matter. And when you do more, God does more for you. In other words, God is this cosmic being who is just waiting for you to get busy so that he will respond to your busyness. Now, you might not think of it like that, but many of us live a faith story that looks like that. God is pleased with us, God likes us, God acts on our behalf when we do things for Him. In other words, our favour with God is something that is earned. Our works are the things that matter the most. The problem is, it's not a great relationship because we end up in a relationship where we do things out of obligation. See, if the story you live right now is the story of when you give, God gives to you. In other words, earning his favour, we end up doing faith out of obligation. And faith can fill our life, but it can be lifeless as well. You see, one of the dangers with the narrative of when I give, God gives, is that when things aren't going so well for you, we can see that as a barometer of how much God likes you. Many of us do this. We look at our circumstances and we let our circumstances become the measuring stick or the barometer of how God sees you. In other words, when things are going really well, well, you've obviously done enough to please God, therefore, He smiles on you and lets the sun shine on your life and circumstances. But when things aren't going so well, it's obviously because God doesn't like you and He's punishing you. It's a really dangerous narrative and it's one the Bible never teaches. Your circumstances are not a barometer of how much God likes you. So right now, if you're walking through a really, really, really tough season, You might know why you're walking through it because sometimes you walk through tough seasons because we make dumb choices. But sometimes you walk through tough seasons and we have no idea why. Some of you are walking through some really significant health crisis at the moment and you don't understand why. But your circumstances are not a barometer of how God sees you and how much He loves you. If you allow them to be, you'll always get a wrong picture of who God is. And sometimes we do do things that affect Life and affect the way life goes. And the Bible does talk about the, the works that we perform, the things that we do. But the thing we've got to be really careful with is the Bible never talks about the things that we do being the thing that establishes our relationship with God. They're always born out of our response to a relationship that's already established. When the question was asked this morning of, who likes gardening, none of my children put their hands up. Yesterday, I suggested that a great contribution to our family would be to do some weeding. I've never heard more whinging in 20 minutes (laughs) of path weeding than ever. My kids hate gardening. But you know what? They didn't have to garden to make me love them as their dad. I love them because they're my kids. I love it, though, when they contribute to the family. But here's the thing, right? What we do doesn't determine or establish the relationship. That's already given. What we do is just in response to the relationship. So if you're living a narrative that says, when I give, God gives, I hope today you get a bit of p- a different picture of who God is and how he responds to you. It, there's another one that almost sounds the same, but it's really subtle. And I reckon it's one that's really linked to our culture, a, a Western culture of affluence and plenty. And it's this that I give, so God owes. I give, so God owes. It's not I give, so God gives. It's like I give, therefore God owes. This is a relationship that's built on manipulation, and the thing that matters the most is my entitlement. Now, most of us think that sounds crazy. I'd never live that life. But, but the narrative in our heart says, well, I've done this, so God should do this for me. You know, sometimes we get stuck in this trap without even realising it. This is how the narrative goes, and... I won't ask you to stick up your hand, but let me ask you a question of whether you've ever thought this. Why aren't things going so well? I mean, when it started to turn a bad corner, I started to go to church more. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying at least once a week. I've upped my tithe to 2.3%. (laughs) percent i serve in the children's ministry and that is just hard work on Sunday mornings. God, I'm doing all these things for you. How come you are not doing for me what I expect? See, we don't think that we'd ever live this, but I want to suggest that in my heart and head at times, I live this narrative that says when I do stuff for God, he should do stuff for me. Not I need to, so he does. It's actually a, God, if you actually acknowledge how much I'm actually doing, you would respond and bless me in the way that I deserve. Some of us start kind of really amping up our engagement in faith when things start going wrong because we think if we just do a bit more, God should respond in kind, shouldn't he? And we throw it all in five weeks later when God hasn't done the things that we expect him to do. We fall into this trap without even realising it. And sometimes when it all goes tough and we start leaning in and God doesn't come through, we just walk away from it all. Now, I discovered a new term this week that's been around for a little while, but it's something that describes the religion that many in our culture live. And This is just for those that love kind of engaging with some big terms, but people would say that one of the religions of our culture is moralistic therapeutic deism. Write that down, moralistic therapeutic deism. And this is the narrative of that religion. God is my cosmic butler. He doesn't have full demand over my life. In other words, I can engage with him when I want, but he is present and he's there to kind of act on my behalf when I need him. And I've got to be a good person because goodness matters and it's being good that gets you into heaven. That's the narrative of moralistic therapeutic deism. In other words, God exists to facilitate blessing in my life and to organise a safe passage to heaven because I'm a good person. Here's the danger with that narrative. How good are you? How good are you? Are you going to put all your hopes in your own goodness? Because I want to just challenge any one of you here to come and tell me how good you are and I'll find someone that's more gooder than you. There's a word for you. That's more gooder than you. I mean, Deb and Kylie are two of the goodest people in our church. Don't you love the way I'm just butchering the English language? Two of the, I mean, they're going to turn up in two weeks' time and spend their entire May long weekend cooking for you. They're pretty good. Do you want to go up against them in a battle for God's affection one day? I mean, Jordan, the voice of heaven, hey? Like hours into the night practicing so he can lead us. He's a pretty good person. James is just going to get put through because he looks like one of the disciples. They won't even question what he does. They'll just go, oh, come in, Peter. But, but how, how about we go together? to the developing world and find people that live on nothing so that they can serve the poor? Do you really want to trust your eternity to your goodness? I mean, we do pretty well in this nation, don't we? But, but the Bible never teaches that God accepts you because of how good you are. See, this I give so God owes is a really dangerous narrative for us to live. So let's lean into another thought that many of us have framed our faith around and it's this one God gives so I owe God's not a cosmic butler, God is a demanding master I meet so many people that have grown up believing God is just an authoritarian demanding master and see in this narrative our relationship becomes religious in other words I do things because I have to because it's what I owe God or it's my penance that I must pay and the thing that matters most In this narrative, is how I behave. We're trying to behave our way into heaven. Many of us have this view of God. The thing that God cares about the most in this narrative is us doing the right thing. And he just spends the entirety of his time in heaven scanning the earth and waiting for you to stuff it up. It's all he's doing. He's just looking down, going, Who's going to have more than one hot cross bun today? I'm going to make their life miserable. What child is going to take more than their share of chocolate Easter eggs? Like, we have this view of God that just is waiting with a stick to whack us when we get out of sync. We live this life of obligation. See, where earlier we talked about earning our way into heaven through good works, this one is about keeping ourselves out of hell by behaving the right way. It's not the way the Bible wants us to live. You know, these... Pictures seem so simplistic. You know, I give, so God gives, or I give, so God owes me, or God gives, so I owe him. It seems really simplistic, but so many of us have ordered our lives and our understanding of God and the behaviour and the practice of our faith around them. But none of them are the way that the Bible talks about, the way that God wants to relate to us. What's the Bible have to say? Romans chapter 5 says this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Two key words there that describe us. Utterly helpless and sinners. Now, sin's not a term we use a lot in our culture. It's not something you might be familiar with. But let me talk about sin as brokenness. You know, the times that you do something stupid and you know you do something stupid or you do something that you just know is going to bring hurt, pain. And sometimes it can be really significant. Sometimes it can just be a little, you know, white lie or a tale of gossip. But just those things that bring pain and brokenness to our life, that is what sin is. The writer continues, Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us. Let me put you in that story. God showed his great love for you by sending Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Let me paraphrase that. You were deserving of nothing, but God gave anyway. In your mess, in your brokenness, in your stupidity, in your rebellion, in all the dumb choices you've made, in all the broken relationships, in the trail of destruction, whatever that looks like in your life. And for some of us, it's really messy. It's been really public and a lot of people have seen it. For some of us, the trail of destruction in our life is really respectable. Our sins have been the respectable sins that most people don't see or acknowledge, but we know in the depth of our heart that we are not people that one day want to stand before God and try and plead our case based on our own goodness. But the Bible tells us this, thankfully you don't have to because it's got nothing to do with how good you are. It's got everything to do with how good he is. And so the narrative the Bible invites us to lean into is simply this, God gives. God gives. Full stop. Exclamation mark. God gives. And this is a relationship that's born out of a thing called grace. Out of God's great love and God's grace. Grace is what the Bible says is what God gives us even though we are not deserving. And so if you're here today and you've built a faith life that is about you earning God's favour or about you paying penance to God because of your stupidity or about God owing you because you're a good person. I going to invite you in a brand new story that is simply this. God gives. It's an act of grace. You know, this is the personal invitation of God to each of us. The thing that matters the most in this narrative is what God has done and who God is. A loving, generous father. He sent his own son into this world so that you and I could know love, forgiveness, and hope eternal. You know, this is the personal invitation of God to each of us to discover his grace and to live it out. You know, this morning, if you've never discovered that story. That God gives full stop and that Easter is a story of God's grace. That you, although broken and sinful and messed up, God will not hold your past against you. But because of what Jesus has done on this Easter weekend, wants to invite you into relationship with him. In just a couple of minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity for the very first time maybe to say that I want to opt into that story. That I'm going to come in my brokenness and invite God's grace to become the narrative of my life the Bible says very simply the only thing we have to do is ask and God chooses to allow the death of his son and the resurrection of his son to become our life giving story that one day we too will have a story where the clutches of death and sin will have no hold or mastery over us as it didn't over Jesus and in just a couple of minutes I'm going to give you that opportunity on Easter Sunday the best Sunday of the year the Sunday that talks about new hope and new life to start your new life with Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, a relationship that's established by grace. But you know what, Easter Sunday isn't just a personal story. It's not just about me and God. See, we've reduced the gospel at times to something that doesn't give it the full credit that it deserves. We've decided that the gospel is good news for personal salvation, and it is. It is good news for personal salvation, but it's more than that. It's not just about what God wants to do for you personally. The, the gospel or the good news, gospel means good news. The good news of the Easter story, isn't it just that Jesus died for your sins so that you could be forgiven and have your relationship with God restored? The good news of the Easter story is that the risen Jesus now reigns as King. And so the whole earth can look forward to its redemption in his story. The apostle Paul writes to a church in a place called Corinth, and this is how he describes the gospel. He says, "Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel of the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you will believed in vain." So here's what Paul tells us is the good news what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. There's a picture of personal salvation. But that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. See, now the picture starts to expand. And that He appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And so what Paul wants to say is, here's the Gospel, here's the good news. Jesus died so your sin could be forgiven. But more than that, He was raised to life and now He reigns as the King. So in your relationship with one another, Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing. He emptied Himself of glory. He stepped out of the glory and the praise and the worship of the heavenlies and waded into your mess. He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's good news. But it doesn't stop there there's a therefore 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 God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the God, to the glory of God, the Father. He died so that you could be forgiven and He raised as King and He now rules and He reigns. You know what, if there's a response this morning, it needs to be a worship response. So why don't we stand on our feet? We're gonna sing together. You reign above it all. You reign above it all. God's exalted Him to the highest place and giving him the name above every other name. And one day every knee will bow because King Jesus reigns. In the barbito, you stay standing with me for a moment our relationship with God is established purely through grace but our purpose and mission can be found in him as king you know the king is bringing to bear on earth his kingdom as it is in heaven and the good news of Easter isn't just that Jesus died so your sins could be forgiven, that is good news and for some of us today that is going to be the best news we ever hear that your past has no bearing on how Jesus sees you and on what He wants to do with you. But there's some of us here this morning, we've been serving Jesus a long time. We've, we've made that step where we've discovered His good news and His grace. We, we've, we've experienced His forgiveness and His new life. But the Easter story doesn't just stop there, right? Don't just live a narrative that says the goal of life is to discover the grace of God and His forgiveness and now sit on our hands until He returns one day. And that misses the point of King Jesus. Because Jesus Himself prayed, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Easter is the story of personal salvation, but also corporate mission. And now we have the opportunity to give our life and find purpose in serving the King. As He establishes His rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. God's got something for you to do. He's got something for you to do. And you're not going to do it because it's going to make God love you anymore. You're going to do it because that's what you do when you're in relationship and you just want to live your life as an act of worship. So let the resurrection of Jesus be the thing that spurs you into action. Don't just sit on your hands. Get involved in doing the kingdom work on earth. Feed the poor, love the unlovely, help the broken. Show kindness and grace and mercy to those that everybody else rejects. Reach out to the stranger. Give of your resources so that others can know life and wholeness. Serve with the gifts that God's given you. Don't just build your own kingdom, build his kingdom. That is the story of the risen king. Discover God's grace. But then live a life that is just born out of the desire to worship Him. Not out of obligation or religion or doing things because you have to, but born just out of the invitation that God gives you to be part of His kingdom work on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible tells us that one day every knee on heaven in heaven, on earth and under the earth will bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. But right now we are people that have had the opportunity to discover that story and now give our lives as an act of worship to serving King Jesus. Hey, as we finish this morning and sing just a story that talks of Jesus as the King of Kings, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And it's just a really simple thing today, two responses. Maybe as I step through the ways that we narrate our life, you realise that you've been doing things because you feel like that's the only way to earn God's favour or you've been doing things as an attempt to manipulate God to do things for you or maybe he's been doing things because you feel like your whole life is just spent paying penance for the dumb things of your past story. I don't invite you into a brand new story today that is just simply God gives. God gave of himself Purely because He loves you. And He made a way for you to have a relationship with your Creator God restored. The Bible says very, very simply that we don't earn that, we just receive it. But there's got to be a moment where we take that step and make that choice that we're going to receive it. And so today, Easter Sunday, might be your day where for the very first time, you discover the gift of God's grace. You choose to say to Him, I receive your forgiveness. And I'm going to choose to make you my Lord and Saviour. I'm going to stop trying to earn it in my own right. I'm actually just going to let you do it for me. And this is the moment where you choose to say yes to Jesus when He asks you, will you follow Him? That's you if you've never taken that step. Some people would say, that's the moment that I became a Christian. It's the moment where I became a Jesus follower. The decision isn't everything, but it's a starting point for you. And so if today is your day to say yes to Jesus and allow His grace just to become your story, I'd love you just to, we're going to pray for you, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to make it too easy. This is the best crowd you'll ever make this decision in front of. So as we start singing, I'd love you just to move from where you are to the front of the church this morning. of so our team would love just to come and stand with you and help you pray a prayer that invites Jesus to become your Saviour. And in that moment, your eternity is secured. Your hope for the future is found. The forgiveness of God floods your life. He fills you with His Spirit and He just sends you into a whole new adventure of finding life the way it was always meant to be lived. If that's you this morning as we sing, I'd love you to come. Others here, you might have been following Jesus for a really long time, but you just got distracted, you got busy, you started doing things in your own strength and you hear the call this morning that the King is reigning and He causes you to be part of His kingdom work. And you just know that there's something that God's prompting you with and you have been too scared or too lazy or too distracted or too caught up in your own thing and your own narrative. But right now you're going to say, okay, Jesus, here I am. I surrender myself to Your will and Your purposes for my life. I want to be part of serving the King and building His kingdom. If that's you this morning, I'd love you too, to make your way forward so we can pray for you. So if today's the day you, for the very first time, choose to put your faith in King Jesus, this will be the best walk you ever make and this will be the most celebratory crowd you'll ever do in front of. Yeah. If today's the day you say, God, if you'd call me back to a fully surrendered life of serving you as King, why don't you make your way forward too so we can pray for you. Why don't you start doing that now as the team leads us in worship.